Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tectonic. My name is Mark Hurst. I'll be your host for the next hour here on WFMU, Freeform Station of the Nation in Jersey City in the great state of New Jersey. Very happy to be with you this evening. Thank you so much for joining me. I've got a really interesting interview to play for you today, and it has to do with something that is developing in the New York City area and may soon come to your area if you don't live in the New York City area. And I'm going to get to that. It, it has to do with, uh, with surveillance and a couple of other aspects of this development, which I will get to in the interview with, with uh, Molly Osberg, freelance journalist who's written a piece for Hellgate, and I'll tell you all about it. First, before I forget, before I forget, and I'll say this at the end of the show as well, I'm off next week, and the great Scott Williams is going to be guest hosting, and I know that you do not want to miss that show. So set your calendar <laughs> to make sure that you don't miss Tectonic in one week. That's going to be August 29 next week, 2022. Make sure you listen to the show with Scott Williams. And thanks to Scott for guest hosting. My plan is to be back in two weeks with, I hope, uh, another author interview, which I'm hoping to uh, record within a few days. We'll see. The other thing is, uh, coming up in three weeks, and this is, uh, this is tentative because in three weeks, that is uh, when WFMU's fall schedule starts, and the fall schedule has not been announced, and, uh, and Tectonic is, well, I'm going to be applying to be part of the fall schedule, but I don't know for sure if I'll be on. But if Tectonic is, in fact, part of the fall schedule, then in three weeks, that's going to be September 12, 2022, that's going to be the five-year anniversary of this show. Can you believe it? Uh, that will mark five years. The, the very first broadcast of Tectonic was actually September 11th on uh, September 11th of 2017. So in three weeks, if Tectonic airs, it's going to be the five-year plus a day uh, anniversary of the show. And I would like something from you, the listeners, so that I can put together a special five-year anniversary show, again, assuming the show is part of the fall schedule, which uh, no, no guarantees, but in, in case it is, what I would like is for you to email me. You can either write an email or you can send, your, send an attachment of an audio recording of you. And I would just like you to answer one question. What is one of your favorites from the past five years of Tectonic? It could be a favorite interview. It could be a favorite moment. It could be a favorite topic. Uh, it could be a favorite uh, musical selection. I don't know. You, you can be creative. Um, if you do an audio recording, keep it, you know, kind of short, uh, within a minute, let's say, uh, 30 seconds to a minute, maybe. And uh, if you write an email, then I can, I can pick out the parts that, uh, that will, I'll read that to length, put it that way. So you can write me whatever you like, and I'll read part of that on air. And if you'd like to uh, do that, my email is mark at wfmu.org. That's M-A-R-K at wfmu.org. And if you can get me your email in the next week or two, that'd be great. Um, and thanks. Thanks. This, if, if, if this comes together, then that will make a, a really special celebration for five years of this show and our community that we have built on the comment board and over email communications and during the marathons and wearing the t-shirts and whatnot. So thanks in advance for uh, all of you who are going to take part and uh, email me your favorite. What is, or not, not your necessarily the number one favorite, but what's one of your favorites? It doesn't have to be number one. Just pick one thing that you've liked about the show. And um, I'm just trying to get a retrospective put together of the last five years as chosen by the listeners. That's it. That would be the the celebration I'm hoping for. Okay, enough announcements. 
What I would like to talk about this evening is, as I said at the top of the show, a new development in the New York City area. Well, actually, it's within New York City. And I, I just want to give a little bit of context um, because this has to do, uh, in a way, with the Google surveillance towers that are still all over New York City called Link NYC. I've done a, a number of shows where I've where I have uh, mentioned Link NYC. I've read news and headlines and so on about Link, the Link NYC project. And I had one show. I think it was in 2018 with Ava Kaufman, uh, who wrote a a long form uh, piece about Link NYC at that time. And and we talked about Google's relationship uh, with the Link NYC project and how. Link NYC uh, surveillance towers or kiosks are drawing down data still today, drawing down data of unknown types on everyone who walks past via the three hidden cameras and the numerous hidden and not publicized sensors, still not today publicized sensors that are packed inside the surveillance apparatus. All of that data goes to Google, or I should say a Google subsidiary, but it's within the alphabet family of toxic companies. And that data uh, then can be shared with other agencies, uh, you know, with government agencies or who knows who else, what other third parties. We don't know what happens to the data. Uh, but much like other surveillance networks like Amazon Ring, uh, surveillance uh, doorbells, all of the footage goes first to the big tech company in Ring's case, all of the audio and video data goes back to Amazon, and then Amazon can decide unilaterally if and when it shares some of that data with local law enforcement. As we talked about, I think on last week's show, Amazon has partnerships with over a thousand police departments in the U.S., and it is beginning to build a uh, a real build a national surveillance network within the residential areas of the U.S. Um, somewhat similar is this build-out of Link NYC kiosks in which, as I said, uh, video data, Wi-Fi data, and who knows what other kind of surveillance data were being fed to a Google subsidiary and occasionally from Google shared with the NYPD and possibly other agencies. We don't know. And the, the idea behind uh, Link NYC was that these, these surveillance towers, in, in addition to providing uh, Google, the original surveillance capitalist, with a lot of data on New York citizens, um, they were also going to provide some amount of advertising revenue, some percentage of which was going to be shared with the city. Well, the Link NYC project is several years in, and it's a complete failure from the perspective of the revenue that it was supposed to generate for the city. So leaving aside all of the surveillance, <clears throat> excuse me, the surveillance activity that's going on just in terms of the advertising revenue, it has not panned out to what the Google subsidiary had, had promised multiple times to the city. So what do you do when a Google subsidiary completely screws up in even delivering a little bit of revenue to the city while it continues its opaque and unpublicized surveillance on New York citizens? Well, what you do if you're the new mayoral administration uh, within New York City, led by our new mayor, Eric Adams, is that you hire the same company to build out an even bigger project. It's called Link 5G, and it's <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not going to give you any more of a summary than that because Molly Osberg has written about Link 5G in Hellgate. You can find it on the playlist at WFMU.org. Click playlists and comments, or if you're listening to a podcast or archive version, go to tectonic.fm, T-E-C-H, tonic.fm, and find the playlist link for the August 22nd, 2022 show. And you can see the link to Molly Osberg's piece in Hellgate that goes into some detail. And there is a photo of the Link 5G apparatus on the playlist as well. Why don't we go ahead and listen to my interview with Molly Osberg. Molly will describe more what's happening 
and then uh, we'll have some time for discussion afterwards. If you want to go to the live listener chat board, go to WFMU.org, click playlist and comments, and join in there. And now let's listen to my interview with Molly Osberg here on Tectonic on WFMU. Molly Osberg, welcome to Tectonic. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks for joining me. I really enjoyed reading your piece in Hellgate called NYC's new 5G monolith is bridging the digital divide with free Wi-Fi for exactly one Bronx block. I like long descriptive headlines and this <laughs> this story delivered. This is a story about Link 5G, which is the successor in a way of the old Link NYC towers. Now, Tectonic listeners are going to be familiar with the Link NYC towers, which I've talked about before. These are nine-foot-high towers that blight the sidewalks of New York City, and there are some other cities that have similar surveillance towers. In contrast, this new program, this successor program called Link 5G, is installing new towers that are a little bit taller. Uh, Molly, how tall are the new Link 5G towers? So I would say that they are significantly taller. Um, I believe they clock in around 32 feet. (laughs) 32 foot high towers. And you went and visited, for your piece in Hellgate, you went and visited one of these towers in the Bronx that has been turned on. What did you see when you went up to the Bronx? Um, you know, I saw a very tall, very bulbous tower, you know, in addition to being 32 feet tall, they have these large, almost conical shapes at the very top of them, several feet above the neighboring businesses. Um, and this is the flagship. Um, and as far to my knowledge, the only Link 5G tower that is currently operational, <laughs> hence having to go all the way to the Bronx to view it in all of its glory. And you write about a launch event with New York City Mayor Eric Adams making some remarks about the program. And apparently the city has announced that it intends to expand this program quite a bit. By 2026, you write in the piece, the city intends to install 2,000 of these 32-foot towers all over New York City. Although there's an interesting detail. You wrote that 90% of these are intended to be in the outer boroughs, that is outside of Manhattan, or above 96th Street uh, within Manhattan. Why do you think that is, Molly? Well, uh, I think that it has been fairly well documented that the first iteration of this project completely failed uh, to meet any of its stated goals. And so I think that a in this bizarre relaunch that is happening right now, it has been very important to have these numbers and sound bites that will assure New Yorkers that uh, whatever is going on with this program will not be, as the previous iteration was, uh, solely confined to like tourist traps and, you know, um, parts of Soho um, where people <laughs> are like eating brunch. You know, it was it was really there was a complete and total failure to um, put I think it's over 90 percent of the existing Lincoln OAC towers ended up being in Manhattan, um, although you might want to fact check that. <laughs> it's, it, well, I live in Manhattan and I see them everywhere, so it's very possible. Let's talk about why the city believes these towers, these 32 foot towers are a benefit to the neighborhoods where they're being installed. Mayor Eric Adams talked a lot about the free Wi-Fi that these towers are going to be providing. As the name suggests, Link 5G, they promise 5G access to the Internet that's going to be uh, available for free to anyone within range of the towers. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Um, although, you know, the, the range is sort of uh, an issue, a disputed issue in this particular moment. Um, I've heard that it's supposed to span several blocks. It doesn't quite do that. Um, but yeah, the city, they're mostly underlying the free Wi-Fi. But one of the big features that sets us aside from Link NYC um, is that they have the 5G and the fiber infrastructure, of course, which New Yorkers will have to pay a service provider to get. Now, the Link NYC towers that preceded this and are, and are still on the streets, I think about 1,800 of them, uh, as you say, mostly in Manhattan, but they're still there and they're still active. They are distinctive 
in the giant lit-up screens on both sides of the kiosk, these new 32-foot-high towers, these Link 5G towers, do not have screens. Is that right? Yes, although what I have been told um, is that in future iterations, the towers, in addition to being 32 feet tall, will also have screens. <laughs> okay. All right. And another thing that distinguishes the Link NYC towers, the nine-foot-high surveillance kiosks, is that they have three hidden cameras, one on top of each screen and then a third one, you know, just for good measure on the side. As I understand, the Link 5G towers also have a camera or cameras installed. Yes, I believe it is just one camera, um, although I could be wrong. Uh, these projects have tended to have a lot of nasty little surprises hidden inside of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the thing with Link NYC. We never could get a straight answer from the corporate owners, who we'll get to in a moment, what exactly they were tracking. And I remember there was a a, a bit of a scandal when there was a code base that was located on GitHub that was not meant to be found, and it was uh, snippets of code that were calling on all sorts of sensors, surveillance sensors, to draw down all kinds of data on New York citizens walking past. In these new 32-foot-high towers, I mean, the photo on the Hellgate piece just shows this giant tower that's looming over everything on the streetscape, and you, you got to think, what kind of sensors did they pack inside that tube? They already have at least one camera, as you say, that they've admitted to. And apparently the, um, the chief of technology for the city said, and you quoted him saying, the camera is on, quote, periodically, not on 24-7. I'm not sure if that's supposed to be reassuring. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it certainly sounds. I think that was um, that was an answer that he gave at the press conference. Um, it was very clearly not prepared um, to have to answer. Uh, it's it's sort of an it's a non-answer. Like a lot of the uh, stuff that's come out about the sort of uh, surveillance capabilities of these towers in any iteration. I like the way you describe Link Five G. You write. Eight years into Link NYC, the kiosks are being rebooted essentially as monolithic 5G towers capable of calling the cops and surveilling city streets. And, and there, I think that encapsulates it well. There is free Wi-Fi that's being provided at some distance, at some radius. As you say, it's not clear if it reaches as far as the city claims, but there is some 5G being delivered. What's also being delivered is surveillance, and that's where I think we could use more clarity, and I think it's worth asking some questions. How many cameras? When are they turned on? Under what circumstances? What other surveillance sensors are being activated? I don't guess the chief of technology or the mayor got into very much detail on any of the surveillance, did they? No, they really haven't because they've been trying to distance themselves um, from a lot of the public's reaction to the first iteration of Link NYC. Um, but I do know in the privacy policy for City Bridge, which is still sort of in charge of this program, um, after uh, an outcry, I believe it was the ACLU putting some pressure on the company, um, they did alter the privacy policy so they are no longer tracking what websites you are visiting, say, if you are connecting to this Wi-Fi on a phone. But in the same way that assuming that these will have the screens and the advertising that the previous iterations of the program had, you're still going to have all the kind of nasty surveillance apparatus that you get just from any kind of advertising technology, you know, that is uh, alleging to de-identify you, take, you know, um, all the information about what you're doing on its network and then finding a way to sort that demographically and find a more effective way to get you to buy stuff. Um, and, you know, there are thousands of instances of how that stuff can be de-identified if a company really has the will to do so. Yes, the, <laughs> the anonymized data collection that companies are always claiming they do uh, has been shown time and again not to work. I mean, as you say, it's very easy to de-anonymize these data streams. It's also concerning when you look at the track record of the companies involved. And there's one company in particular that is involved to some extent at least that I tried to make very clear 
when I spoke about the original Link NYC towers, when I first looked up Link NYC years ago, it said, well, we're part of City Bridge, and City Bridge is part of Intersection, and Intersection is part of Sidewalk, or maybe I'm getting the hierarchy wrong, but they're throwing all these different names of consortiums around, and all the way down in the teeny, tiny, little, tiny, tiny, small print, they said, well, it's possible that also uh, there may also be another company involved called Google, but, but really not very much, really not very much. And I said, oh, I see, Link NYC is feeding data to Google. That makes complete sense. And then Google passes the data along to the city or the NYPD or whoever may request it. That's the same model that we see from Amazon Ring and so many other surveillance platforms uh, that are being deployed on, on Americans and beyond today. So, Molly, you're the expert. You've done the research. Now we have not nine-foot-high Google surveillance towers. We now have 32-foot-high Link 5G towers. And who is in the mix? Um, you know, Intersection, I believe, is still involved. Um, we have this new company called ZenFi, who was previously um, had sort of a limited involvement. They do sort of fiber infrastructure, uh, internet infrastructure, and they invested 200 million into this new iteration of Link NYC, Link 5G. Um, I sort of, I get the sense it, so that they can expand their particular business footprint. Everyone that has been involved has told me that Sidewalk Labs and Google no longer have anything to do with the project, that that was um, a fiction that the press pushed um, because it was so spicy. I think it's pretty clear that Google did prototype these and had a lot of involvement early on. It's also true that Sidewalk Labs, um, the sort of like city skunk works, if you will, um, of Google's alphabet, their founder has had health issues and the company is in the process of liquidating a lot of what that particular section was working on. But I think you can see the business model even as being one that is very, very, very similar to Google's and other, you know, advertising platforms. So it's not it's not a mystery how this thing came to be what it is. And I think in part because of the in, uh, involvement of Google. And we're back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Tectonic on WFMU. My name is Mark Hurst. We are halfway through my interview with Molly Osberg, who's written a piece for Hellgate about the new Link 5G surveillance towers, which promise to give free Wi-Fi to New York City neighborhoods above 96th Street in Manhattan and throughout the other four boroughs. As we're talking about, I have some concerns about the possibilities of surveillance in these towers, much like their predecessors, Link 5, excuse me, Link NYC. And uh, Molly has done the research and is describing what she found. If you want to join in the live listener chat, go to wfmu.org and click playlist and comments. Why don't we go ahead and hear the second half of my interview with Molly Osberg here on Tectonic on WFMU. Listeners will remember that there was a major project, a quote-unquote smart city, which is to say surveillance city project in Toronto that was being led by Sidewalk Labs. And it was well known that this was Google's attempt to build its own surveillance infrastructure into part of Toronto. And because of the dedicated long-term efforts of activists and citizens and uh, privacy groups in Toronto, they finally defeated Google and they kicked Google out of town. It, I covered that a couple of years ago. That was great news. Similarly, Google was instrumental in putting together Link NYC, as you say. That was a Sidewalk Labs project. And so this is what confuses me now. Link NYC was a Google project. It made sense for Google to litter New York City sidewalks with surveillance kiosks to draw down data without citizens' knowledge or consent for their surveillance capitalist model. 
Now we have 32-foot-high surveillance towers. And Zenfi, as you say, has invested $200 million to litter the outer boroughs now with these nightmarish Orwellian surveillance towers. And CityBridge, which was involved in Lincoln YC, is involved again. What are the chances that Google and its ravenous surveillance capitalist business model has simply stepped away from this opportunity to get data on New Yorkers? Yeah, I mean, this is sort of, this is the million dollar question, right? I mean, I I certainly was not able to peel the layers of the onion back far enough to find exactly what Google's involvement in this project is. But I think that it is certainly fair to say that the the model for these businesses is based on the kind of thing that Google would come up with and indeed then tried to vend to a number of other cities, in some cases successfully. Why would, why would a company invest $200 million if they didn't see some possibility for profits? And if it's free Wi-Fi, I mean, it's not like they're investing on a rollout of hardware and then New Yorkers are going to pay them 20 bucks a month and they'll make it back in a few years. The city is promising this as a free service. We know online, Molly, nothing in life is free. Why are they doing this? Are they just really generous people over at ZenFi? They must have some profit model. Yeah, well, I think that part of their interest is laying this fiber and 5G infrastructure because the 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 way that the city is saying that it will make this project successful where the previous project had failed so spectacularly is that the city is going to rent these kiosks to giant telecom providers. So AT&T, Verizon, um, they are going to use ZenFi's infrastructure um, and the city is going to be able to rent out some telecom space through these towers. And City Bridge is still involved. Yes. Well, and City Bridge is still an entity somehow, which despite defaulting massively on its, you know, seven year long contract with the city has still been allowed to rise victorious from the ashes and build even taller towers. I liked how you put it in the Hellgate piece, which was that you're also trying to figure out why is this project viable? I mean, after Lincoln YC failed in so many ways... Why do we have a rollout of Link 5G? And you, you offered two possible answers. One is the pandemic revealed how important it is for people to have Wi-Fi access so that they don't have to crowd around a, a little kiosk somewhere outside to, you know, to do their homework or to pay their bills. But the other possibility you gave is that after the city tore down all the payphones in order to make space for the Lincoln YC Google surveillance towers, it's too late to go back. And if Lincoln YC failed, well, we'll just have to build it bigger next time. And now we have 32-foot towers going up. Now that we're a few weeks after your story, which one do you think is more likely? I mean, I think that the first question, the first answer that I posed was incredibly charitable. Um, and it's clear that, I mean, that's sort of the city line. But yeah, I mean, I've even, this didn't make it into the story, but I heard from people who had worked on these projects that there are still, you know, like holes in the ground in some places where uh, City Bridge, Link, NYC had torn up the payphones, but didn't have enough money to actually put the towers in. So you just have all of these sites that the city has said are going to be, you know, for New Yorkers to access the internet, and then you just have a bunch of rubble. And so, and this this company is the only one that is offering any kind of solution. So you're, the, it seems like the city was just forced to find a way to somehow make this work, you know, against all the odds and against all common sense. I also appreciated that you talked to some of the residents in the area of that 32 foot high tower in the Bronx that has been activated. I don't know how many you, you spoke to, but the folks who you quoted in the piece, none of them seemed all that excited about the installation of this thing. Well, I'll tell you what, I have been following this story for some time, and I have yet to find a single person who will say a nice thing about the project except for Eric Adams. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I mean, most, I think, especially in that neighborhood, you know, there were people on that block um, who, because a building was in the way, weren't able to access the Wi-Fi. They're still paying for Wi-Fi. They don't care about this weird space age tower with like a tiny little screen on it that you can call 911 with, you know, there are folks that I spoke to were at times concerned about the surveillance, you know, had read enough about, and it's just, it looks like something that's surveilling you, <laughs> even without having read any of the coverage. Uh, it's an incredibly intrusive piece of infrastructure. Um, but the, none of the people that I spoke to were using it or were particularly impressed. You know, it's Wi-Fi that spans half a block. It's really just not that useful to your average resident of a city. What's more, they were saying, hey, if the city wants to help this neighborhood, here are some things that we could use help on. They were distinctly non-high-tech issues, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, cheaper rent, as I'm sure you're aware. Uh, I think it was the, the median rent in Manhattan is like $5,000 a month or something right now, you know, um, not to beat the inflation horse, but, you know, it's a huge, it's something that people mentioned to me. Um, I think that the folks that I spoke to um, needed jobs and housing a lot more than they needed half a block of free Wi-Fi and often had internet in their homes that they still had to pay for because they can't use the tower for anything. Jobs and affordable housing. <laughs> I mean, to me, you mentioned common sense before. That, to me, sounds much more common sense as meriting investment and attention from the city rather than tripling the size of the surveillance towers we already have and calling it a day. Um, even the even the nine-foot-high towers that are all over my neighborhood and throughout the city – it's unclear what they're being used for at all, except for whatever camera footage and other surveillance sensor data that someone um, who rhymes with Scroogle is still being able to draw down on citizens without their knowledge or consent. In other words, I, I rarely see anyone looking at the screens or using the little keypad to navigate, because as you say, everybody has their phone already on them, and it has a pretty decent cell connection uh, if they need to look something up. No one is going to go to the Google kiosk and look something up. So it really raises a question of why is the city doubling down on these surveillance towers when if they were really looking after the interests of people in the Bronx and these, these other outer borough neighborhoods, they would be focusing on something else? Right. And I think also, you know, I, this was sort of an aside and it's, it's a funny story and everything, but you can sort of see also um, this project over the years being sort of stripped of a lot of its utility, you know, because they, I think I mentioned this briefly, but um, they used to have big screens where you could browse the web. So if you didn't have a phone, if you didn't have a computer, um, you'd be able to use the internet at one of these kiosks, but I think it got shut down after like less than a month because people were watching porn on it, <laughs> which, you know, you really would have been able to foresee, but also just shutting all of those off has really abandoned maybe one of the only proper use cases for this thing for people that don't actually have access to, you know, technology or internet. Is there anything else around government involvement that we should be thinking of around these towers? Yeah, I mean, I just think that it's notable, and I did say this in the piece, that as of March 2020, the city was about to, the city of New York was thinking about taking legal action against City Bridge um, for defaulting on millions and millions of dollars of promised revenue to the city. And I think that the big question here, in addition to all of this surveillance stuff, is like, why on earth? the city decided to completely reverse course and, you know, just sink even more resources into a project that had so phenomenally failed. I wanted to say a word about Hellgate. This is a name that listeners may not be familiar with. It's a relatively new site. It's a news site. Uh, and on the playlist, I'm going to link to a good New York Times story that talked about the founding of Hellgate. As I understand it, Molly, you're a freelancer with Hellgate. Is that right? Yeah, I am. And how is it, tell me in, in, in your own words, how do you describe Hellgate and how has it been uh, working with this new site? Um, Hellgate 
is incredible. <laughs> um, it is a worker-owned cooperative with a consortium of journalists who own and produce all of the content on the site. I believe the tagline is good blogs for the greatest city. And like a lot of sort of similar projects that have um, come up over the last couple of years, they're reporters, many of whom have worked together before uh, at local outlets like the Village Voice, WMYC, who wanted to take a little bit more ownership over their fates and their careers um, and thought that they could do better work without, you know, a shadowy private equity <laughs> overlord uh, sort of dictating um, the sorts of things that they could write about. So I think it's been massively successful so far in such a short amount of time. It's really, really wonderful group of guys. I'm really happy to hear that it's doing well and that you have had a good experience with it. We've covered alternative organizational models a little bit on the on the show here. And I like the idea of trying out co-ops instead of, as you say, being under the thumb of shadowy private equity <laughs> or possibly even worse, the big tech giants, or maybe they're one and the same these days. I don't know. Yeah, well, look, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly lucky. I've been in this industry for 10, 15 years, and I've only had my entire team fired twice. So, <laughs> Gosh. And Molly, your own work, if I've got this right, we can find it at mollyosberg.com, right? Yeah, you can go to mollyosberg.com, but even better, you could go to hellgatenyc.com slash subscribe. <laughs> All right, I'll put both of those links on the playlist. Molly Osberg, I really appreciate you taking some time to speak with me today about Link 5G and the remaining questions about the project. And uh, I hope you'll be back on the show sometime. Yeah, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Tectonic on WFMU. My name is Mark Hurst. I'll be your host for the remaining 21 minutes. And then I want you to stay tuned because DJ Arb is back. Filling in for Ebba this evening. I'm looking forward to hearing Arb's show. And so I hope you will stay tuned at the top of the hour in 20 minutes. Also want to thank Molly Osberg, journalist who wrote the piece on Link 5G for Hellgate, for joining me to discuss the piece and discuss the research on Link 5G, such as it is. We don't know very much, as Molly said. There's still a lot of questions around that project, but uh, the Hellgate piece does list... Uh, quite a quite a bit that Molly learned along the way, and that article, which I would recommend to you, reading the whole thing, is at wfmu.org. Click playlists and comments. And again, if you're listening to an archive or podcast version of the show, go to tectonic.fm, T-E-C-H tonic.fm, and uh, the playlist link is there for the August twenty, excuse me, August twenty two, twenty twenty two show. Uh, one slight correction, Molly said, go to hellgatenyc.com slash subscribe. It's a slightly different web address, uh, and I have, I have placed the link on the playlist. It's hellgatenyc.com slash products. But just go to hellgatenyc.com, and you'll see that news site that Molly was talking about. I've also put up a link to a New York Times story from July 20 called Tired of waiting for their dream workplace, these writers made their own. Written by Ashley Wong in the Times, quote, after years of being put through the ringer of New York City media, five journalists created Hellgate, the blog-style news site run on their terms. And I think it's a, a really exciting new launch in the, in the news space here in uh, New York City in that we're trying, or they at Hellgate are trying a different economic model than being run by a public company or in thrall to various big tech interests or private equity interests. So uh, I wish them luck. And I want to thank my friend and friend of the show and past guest, Ed Park, for pointing me to that New York Times story 
Uh, we're both fans of Hellgate and uh, hope Molly will be back on the show and, and um, hope that you, the listeners, will read that piece that Molly wrote. Okay, one more thing that I want to say about Link 5G is that Molly mentioned, and we talked about a little bit, this press conference when at, at the launch event in the Bronx when they activated that first surveillance tower, this first 32-foot high surveillance tower that also provides some amount of, of free Wi-Fi, but it has some unknown surveillance gear uh, packed inside the tube. And again, you can see the photo of this thing on the playlist. Uh, it's just there are, there are two, I think there are two men uh, standing at the base of this thing beside a Verizon van, and they and the van are just dwarfed by this looming Orwellian surveillance pole. And it just, as Molly said, it looks like something that would surveil you. I mean, the, the residents of that neighborhood in the Bronx are saying, I, I don't know, but it sure looks like it's surveilling us. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost built to, to communicate through the architecture of this device. We are watching, so you'd better behave. This does not look like a friendly, oh, it's your friendly neighborhood, you know, Wi-Fi access point. Um, as, as someone else said in one of the links I've put on the playlist, if, if the city really wanted to deliver 5G access or, or Wi-Fi access throughout neighborhoods, there is infrastructure that's a lot less obtrusive and that's already built out that they could, that they could piggyback on. And in fact, the city, if it really wanted to be imaginative and, and, and centered on citizens' needs, it would not be partnering with Google or Verizon or any of these toxic giants. There's, a, there's an organization that I have covered on this show called uh, Mesh NYC that, uh, let me see, it's on the, excuse me, NYC Mesh, NYC Mesh, uh, which is a decentralized point-to-point -point mesh network of Wi-Fi hotspots that uh, deliver very low-cost, high-speed internet bandwidth throughout much of New York City. It hasn't permeated the whole city, but it's, it's throughout much of the city. And again, it's called NYC Mesh. You can go back in the archives and listen to my interview with, with two of the folks there from the team, or you can just go online to your uh, whatever your favorite independent uh, non-big tech search engine is and search up NYC Mesh. The city could have worked with different partners to provide f uh, 5G or some sort of Wi-Fi throughout the city. I don't think that the, the provision of internet access to these neighborhoods was the primary concern. It just does not seem in the architecture, the build out, the economics, the partners, or the opaque statements from the city, none of this suggests to me that the city is really looking to bridge any kind of digital divide with these uh, neighborhoods in need of equity, to use the city's term. It seems to me like they took the Google surveillance towers that already were looming over the citizens at nine feet tall, and they more than tripled it to 32 feet and put a camera somewhere in there and deliver the message, and again, they want thousands of these in New York City, but by the time they're done with the build-out, the message is, we're watching. We're watching. And so I want to play for you, after the mayor gave, on July 20, after the mayor gave his remarks, uh, and the New York City Chief Te Technology Officer, Matthew Fraser, and by the way, both Mayor Eric Adams and CTO Matthew Fraser come from the New York Police Department. Which, uh, which is the beneficiary of the surveillance data, the video footage, the photo uh, surveillance that comes off of the Link NYC surveillance towers provided by Google. The NYPD is one of the beneficiaries of that surveillance data. Now uh, Eric Adams is mayor and Matthew Fraser is chief technology officer and they are spearheading this new Link 5G project which we are assured, oh, Google has nothing, can't, can't possibly have anything to do with it. It's just the same consortium that runs Link NYC. And by the way, after Mayor Adams spoke and after CTO Fraser spoke, guess who spoke? Two gentlemen wearing T-shirts that said, what? Link NYC, the previous project. 
So Lincoln YC, that team is alive and well, and they spoke at the event, and then it was time for Q&A. And I just want to play the first question that came from an unknown, I don't know if it was a journalist or someone, shouted out a question to Mayor Eric Adams about asking about the surveillance that is being conducted by these surveillance polls. I hope this guy, whoever he is, is a tectonic listener because it was a great question. I'm going to play this footage now, and I want you to listen to Mayor Eric Adams' answer or non-answer, and then I want you to listen to CTO Matthew Fraser's answer or non-answer and see what you think. Here it is. I was wondering if uh, you have a timeline for these new 2,000 kiosks to be deployed. I know it starts in the summer, but when will we have all 2,000s? And then secondly, is there any kind of um, surveillance technology on these? Like, is it collecting people's data? Is it filming people? Is it reporting people? Do we know anything about that? No, let's answer that part. And uh, that's a good idea to have cameras on here. I'm a big camera guy. I believe public safety is important. We're not doing surveillance. Uh, but right now, we have police cameras scattered in different places. I think it would be cheaper to do here. So I'm going to take that idea and explore it. But we're not abusing. We're using tools to keep us safe. They want to know the, the timeline? So the timeline for completion for the franchise is 2026. By the end of 2026, we're looking at that 4,000 kiosk deployment. And of the second 2,000 that's going out now, like I said, 90% of that is going to be focused on the equity districts. In terms of surveillance technology and, and it, the, the cornerstone of this administration, the cornerstone of city is, is privacy, right? That's why part of the Office of Tech and Innovation is the Mayor's Office of Information Privacy. We want to ensure that the public feels safe leveraging these devices and their information is only used in ways that's acceptable. In terms of surveillance tech, there's nothing in the devices outside of a camera, right? In the event, it's activated in the event that um, periodically it's not on 24 by 7, but there's nothing other than that. Okay, that was um, New York City Mayor Eric Adams and New York City Chief Technology Officer Matthew Fraser on July 20, 2022 at a press conference um, announcing the activation of the first Link 5G uh, I, I, the city would say Wi-Fi access point. I would say surveillance tower and answering a question in the Q&A. And what did Mayor Adams say when someone asked him point blank, is there surveillance going on? Are there cameras, for example, conducting surveillance on New Yorkers? And what is the, fir <laughs> what is the first thing that Mayor Adams said? He said, oh, it's a good idea to have cameras. Uh, as though it was the first time he had heard of that idea. And my, my reaction in hearing that is there's really only two possibilities. One is Mayor Adams was not aware that there might be cameras packed into these things, uh, even though the predecessor, Link, 5, uh, Link NYC kiosks, had three cameras each. So it, one possibility is Mayor Adams was genuinely surprised by the question that there might be a camera in the Link 5G surveillance tower. The other possibility is he knows full well of the surveillance going on, uh, but, but chose to act as though it was a surprise. He says, it's a good idea to have cameras. I'm going to take this idea and explore it. And really, friends, if you think about it, neither of those possibilities is a good look for the mayor of New York City, either not to know one of the key aspects of this new technology that has hundreds of millions of dollars going into it or that he is acting as though he doesn't know when it's one of the primary questions. As you can see, it was the number one first question in the Q&A at the first launch event. Um, Adams says, oh, don't worry, we're not abusing, we're using the tools. And I appreciate that it's kind of a clever sounding phrase, but I don't know what that means. What, what does it mean that you're going to use it but not abuse it? And by the way, if you're, if you're using it, does that mean you are actually using the camera? So you do know, in fact, that there are cameras. It's a very, very confusing non-answer to me. So then he hands it off to Chief Technology Officer Matthew Fraser, and he says, hey, w would you answer this, please? And Fraser gets up, and what does Fraser say? Well, first, he says by 2026, they're hoping to have 4,000 of these 32-foot-high towers all around New York City. Four, can you imagine? 4,000 of these. And then he reassures everyone and says, don't worry. 
quote, the cornerstone of this administration is privacy. Really? Really? The cornerstone. This is, so you're saying, you're, what you're telling me now is the number one most important, you know what a cornerstone is? It's the most important thing that undergirds the entire structure. So you're saying with, the, with, with your boss, the mayor standing right behind you, that the number one most important thing in the entire administration of New York City right now is privacy. And that's why you are installing 4,000 32-foot-high towers, each of which has at least one camera and possibly other surveillance sensors feeding data back to a consortium that in the predecessor project of Link NYC was intimately involving the company known as Google the original surveillance capitalist, which got kicked out of Toronto because it tried and failed to build a surveillance neighborhood surveilling the cities of Toronto, the citizens of Toronto, who then flatly rejected Google's bid. Are you saying that, sir? That the cornerstone of this administration at the launch event of these surveillance towers is privacy? That is a strange answer. I have to say, that is a really strange answer. Then he says, there's nothing, because then now it's out. Now we're thinking of these cameras, these cameras, these, you have camera, 4,000 of the camera all around New York City. Wait a second. He said the cornerstone is privacy. So he says, now don't worry, quote, there's nothing in the devices outside the camera, right? He has that tick, I guess, that a lot of people have ending sentences with, right? Um, there's nothing in the devices outside the camera, right? It's activated in the event that, um, and he never finishes the sentence. And, and, then he, and then he picks it up and says, well, periodically, it's not on 24 by 7, but there's nothing other than that. I don't, it's like Mayor Adams' answer, I don't understand. You mean there actually is a camera, and it is on periodically, and it's activated in the event of um, and uh, there's nothing other than, so you're telling me there's nothing in the tower other than the camera that's activated periodically and your cornerstone is privacy and there's nothing else in the tower at all, like no, no Wi-Fi? <laughs> there's nothing. And, and, you, and we're supposed to believe that this is just about bringing Wi-Fi to neighborhoods in the city that don't have enough internet access. And Molly Osberg says that she was unable to find one person on the street who had anything nice to say about the project. The whole thing to me, frankly, the whole thing to me smells like Google. It just, I, I don't know how else to describe it. smells like, this project smells like Google and everything around Google. And I have a whole other news story that's really important for us to get into. I believe it was front page news in the New York Times. It's certainly prominent uh, in, the, in the technology section today. Is a story by Kashmir Hill. I don't have time to go into it, but it has to do with Google's, these revelations to a lot of people. We, Tectonic listeners, knew this already, but that Google is scanning everything that you pass through uh, Google devices and Google surveillance platforms. Um, and, it, and, it, and it connects to this Link 5G project that smells so much like Google, that has our mayor and our chief technology officer giving such strange answers or non-answers. That's about all the time I have for this evening, but I do want to pick this up on a, on a subsequent show uh, because there, these things are happening right now. And for us, not, I mean, not to take any action, I mean, at least make yourself aware of what's happening around you. And if you live outside New York City, keep an eye out because these towers are coming to where you live unless the citizens do what they did in Toronto and kick Google out. We have a lot of work in New York City because Google has established a deep foothold here. Um, so I, I want to keep this up. I, I have more to say on a subsequent show. Next week, I want you to stay tuned. Next week, the great Scott Williams will be guest hosting. He's got a great show that he's uh, putting together for you. I want you to stay tuned in four minutes for DJ Arb. The Arbitrarium is back. Uh, DJ Arb is, is filling in for Ebba 
this evening, and so I want you to stay tuned for that. And uh, I want to remind you that you are listening to the greatest radio station in the world, WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope in New York City and Rockland County, and 91.9 FM and online at WFMU.org. Until next time, friends, you know what to do. Avoid Amazon and Apple. Forget Facebook. And whatever you do, get off Google. Please email me, audio and or text at mark at WFMU.org with whatever your favorite is, favorite moment, interview, whatever from the last five years. And finally, I want to say thanks to Evan Funk Davies uh, for pointing me to this outro song I'm going to play for you now. It's called Access Denied. Have a great week, everybody. And it's going to be on one second. I'm going to bring it up in. I'm going to bring it up in. I'm going to bring it up in VLC. We're going to try it this way. Here it is. Will it work? Here it is. Welcome to the Arbitrarium, capital of the country of Arb Surdistan. I am your president, Arb. In certain rare instances, according to some researchers, a human body mysteriously ignites and is largely consumed by fire. There are about 200 recorded cases of this curious demise. And from these episodes springs enough of a pattern to allow a general description of the phenomenon. Spontaneous human combustion fries the body to a crisp, beginning in the torso, and often leaving the limbs
Heart does breathe a sigh on the air, I know it backwards, red or orange or blue, where I saw paradise swallow the flower. Didn't desire draw me in search of shadows, the silence of sound bursting through portraits. Rather have an island shining over visions, open to your lips mouthing a couple of dreams that breathe discomfort. In spite of the truth, I would whisper, tell you a story to lie beneath your feet. Dreams force upwards, the island collides, a world on all fours has come full circle. So we call it time and warm the leaves, as rain falls from the dream of your smile. hospital, Bretzel immediately returns to her old ways. Just now she runs with a pack of street hoodlums to a beatnik party on the outskirts of town. She has not learned. She does not care. She is the dropout dumpling.
живое радуется, когда ты восходишь на небосклоне. Ты далек, но лучи твои на земле. Все тобой устроено так мудро и так красиво. Есть у тебя слуга, ветер. Ты выращиваешь цветы, и ветер рассеивает их семена. Ты выкармливаешь животных, и ветер сдувает пыль с трав. Ты согреваешь птиц. И ветер разносит их О, доброе и заботливое солнце! Выбери для меня из своих золотых табунов Такого же верного слугу, как ветер! Пусть летит он без крыльев По бескрайним лесам 